Now turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. I actually had planned for this to be my second to last sermon. Indeed it is, because I have the opportunity, because of COVID again, the celebration of our retirement will be September 20th, and I have uh, that Sunday to preach. And I thought, what would I want to leave with you as the last thoughts? And I, I, I point to that Sunday as, in a sense, the, the most important, as Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, I do, you know I do. And he, It's kind of a, a faltering thing because he had disowned Jesus, had denied him uh, earlier. Jesus did it three times. Do you love me? I want to point to that question as a final question. That's the most important question for this congregation. If you remember nothing else, I want you to remember that question from Jesus addressed to you. Do you love me? That encompasses everything. Your faith is not in your love. Your faith is in what Jesus did for you. Your faith is in Jesus himself. And because he has loved you and given his life for you, by his spirit, you love him back. Do you love me? Jesus asks. Peter said, of course I do. I do, I do. He said, feed my sheep. We are committed to Christ and his word. So I've given away the punchline in some ways because as this is the last Sunday before I retire and enter that stage of life, I want to point to that and for you to recognize this is the penultimate. It's the next to last. I wasn't intending to, to end with the negative and the positive. When your nets are empty, when your nets are full, when you catch nothing, when you catch everything. But in God, God in his providence has led us to this Sunday for the last message to be this passage because of all the things that are out of our control. And perhaps this is most important as you go into this time of transition. We tend to want our nets to always be full and say, it is the Lord. But can you say it is the Lord when the nets are empty and you're just doing ordinary stuff and you don't even recognize that Jesus is right there on the shore? Let's read this passage. We'll at least read the first part of it and then we'll work our way through it. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night... They caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Let's just pause there. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would address us through this portion of your word this morning, that we would, with eyes of faith, be able to recognize Jesus in any and every circumstance and say, it is the Lord at work. And I pray that you would be at work in us in such a way that we would have the assurance that you give us of what you have in store for us, no matter what our circumstance now, that we could have contentment in the circumstance today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I reflect on 38 years of, of ministry here, 
There are lots of things that come to mind. I've been cleaning out files in my uh, office uh, this week. I've only had a little bit of time to do it. Now it's taken me another week to get everything out uh, of my office. I acknowledge that. So uh, we're not moving away or, or disappearing, but we're drawing back for the con- from the congregation for a year because we're excited about what's next for you. We're not going on the honeymoon, as I've said before, with you and uh, Sean as he comes uh, to be your next senior pastor. We want you uh, to be united to him and to engage with him and to see what God would do through him and his leadership in Sycamore. We are excited about that. In fact, we feel like church, I feel like the church granddaddy, where now I get to say, when the diaper's dirty, how do you open back up from COVID? Here, I smell a dirty diaper. Y'all figure it out. And we just get to enjoy seeing God continue to work through the fresh legs of a ministry that Sean and, and Nikki, his wife, will bring to you. So, uh, I've been looking through uh, files and uh, reflecting on things and finding things that I'd even forgotten about, finding things that I remembered that were tough times when the nets were empty. And I'd already studied into this passage, already was focused on what I was going to say, and it just was like going through the time travel of 38 years. I found one letter that was written to us before we even arrived between that March uh, Sunday when I was candidating And when I was called and and coming, we got a letter in the mail from someone at Sycamore and opened it with kind of eagerness, only to find that the letter said, essentially, in three pages, the sycamore tree is rotten to the roots and should be left to die. That was real encouraging. There are some things that, you know, church plants are messy. They They are babies with messy diapers. We were excited by God's call, and we were had a sense of excitement coming to this community, and we saw the things that God could do. But it was a test right off the bat to realize if, if anything's going to happen here, God has to do it. God has to do it. And that's a lesson that we held on to. I had learned the theology of it uh, in seminary. It was a, a, a maturing of faith for me to learn that. And I, I pass that on to you in this message. When you catch nothing, when the nets are empty, can you still say, it's the Lord. He's at work. How does he want me to respond in this? Where can I see he would teach me to rely not on myself, but on him, and not just on him for practical here and now circumstances, on him who raises the dead, so that we can say with triumph, even if I perish, yet nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If I perish, I perish. That's what Esther said. I'll do what God calls me to do. That's the, that's the final message that I leave with you. Can you see when the times are tough, the Lord, and when the times are, are plenty, when the nets are full, when you catch everything, it's obvious then, and we praise God, but you know what? We still have sinful natures. And when God blesses, isn't it tempting to say, look what I did? Can you just imagine uh, Peter, James, and John in this passage and the other disciples who were uh, with them coming and saying, Jesus, Look how many fish we caught. We're such good fishermen. They could not dare do that. Not when it was so evident that it was Jesus who gave the blessing. Let's look at the details of this passage. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. We learned from the Gospel of Matthew that the angels told the women, after the women went and 
found the tomb empty, and the angel said, He is risen from the dead. Uh, the angel said to him, He has risen from the dead. This is chapter 28 and uh, verse 7. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This being in Galilee was an act of obedience. But the disciples were slow to get it. Mark tells us that the women went afraid and they were bewildered. They didn't say anything to anybody. That doesn't mean they didn't say anything to the disciples when they found them. I think that's when they left the tomb. You'd think that if, if you saw Jesus, you'd just start telling everybody in the street, you won't believe this. He's risen from the dead. But they were still afraid. And they went to tell the disciples. They didn't talk to anybody on the way. We learned from Luke when they got to the disciples the disciples didn't believe the women. And so when the women told him, he's risen, he says, go to Galilee. They didn't do that. Essentially, Jesus was saying after the, the big feast in Jerusalem, he was saying, go home. Like everybody else is going home after the feast is over. Go home. Back to your life. I'll meet you there. That's the first message from this passage. Wherever it is you are, whether it's high or low, Go back to your life. Jesus will meet you there. That was his promise to his disciples. And so that's why uh, seven of them were back in Galilee. The others may, we don't have any uh, explanation of why the whole band wasn't together. Perhaps they all went home to tend to business. They were back to ordinary uh, life. And these seven were still together up in Galilee. And Peter, being Peter, was just restless. He said, I'm going out to fish. Simon told them, and they said, we'll go with you. You can just picture them sitting around, not knowing what to do. So they did what they knew to do. They did what was ordinary. They did what, what was at hand. Now, the commentators will you know, go two different directions here. Some will say Peter was falling back into his old life. It was a failure of faith. He wasn't serving Christ. I don't believe that. I go with the other side that says, no, Peter was being obedient to Christ who through the women said, go back to Galilee and wait for me. I'll meet you there. So they're waiting. But as they're waiting, Peter just says, he just can't sit still. He does what is at hand to do. In your ordinary life, if you're waiting for lightning to strike, if you're waiting for uh, somehow Jesus to, to speak to you in skywriting, don't do that. Do what's at hand to do. Wash those dishes. Take care of those kids. Go to, go to work. Come to church. Open the word of God. And through the ordinary means of grace, God will speak to you. He'll address you. Just get on with life. Just think if Peter and those disciples hadn't gone out to fish, how would this miracle have happened that Jesus did? Jesus met them while they were going about their ordinary life. But in their ordinary life, the passage says, that night they caught nothing. Now that, these are professional fishermen that may or may not have been unusual for them. We know at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is the manner in which he called these disciples. It's, there are a lot of details that are different. It's not some duplication of the same story in the Gospels. There were two boats. They were out, and Jesus was teaching the crowds, and the crowds were getting big, and he says, take me out in your boat away from shore so that I can 
speak and see all the crowds. And, and he, he talked to the crowds. They said, let's go out to fish in deep water and cast your nets. And they did. And there were so many fish, the nets were breaking. The second boat came over and helped them get the fish in. And Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That's how he called the disciples. And here, at the, after his resurrection, he affirms his call to them to follow him. He's making them fishers of men. In this passage, they're out again. They catch nothing again. Is that because they were crummy fishermen? I don't know. Maybe he only caught fish half the time. Maybe life was pretty hard and frustrating for them, as it can be for us. Maybe it was really unusual, and they were just frustrated. They, they didn't know what to do, and they went out and fished, and they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, this could have been something extraordinary, like Jesus talking to the men on the road to Emmaus, being right up close with them, but he veiled himself. He seemed to have the ability to to reveal himself or not. And he spoke to the men on the road to Emmaus and taught them, and their hearts burned within them. It wasn't until he broke bread with them that he revealed himself to them, and they saw that it was the Lord. Maybe it was that extraordinary. Probably they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He's way on the distant shore within earshot, but it's hard to recognize who somebody is. The pastor says they couldn't recognize it was Jesus, but he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Just rub it in a little bit. He didn't get, go right to, to the advice. He brought out the need. Lots of times he brings out the need in us to teach us, not to rely on ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. God may be at work at you in such a way that he's bringing you down. He's showing you you have need. He's, he's getting you to think, I don't have any fish. Life is, is coming up empty. I, nothing seems to be working. Can you see? It's the Lord at work there. Because if you're relying on your own strength, your own accomplishments, you're going to come up empty in the end. We're all mortal. When we have need, then we can turn and recognize the hand of Jesus at work when he blesses. Otherwise, we'll think, wow, I figured it out. This is my success. Jesus said, haven't you any fish? No. They answered. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now the passage doesn't tell us whether or not they begin to wonder. I speculate that as he called the disciples in this first, at the beginning, with the same kind of miracle, I wonder if they began to think, could it be? Could it be? The passage doesn't tell us that they did. Earlier, it says they couldn't recognize who it was that was on the shore. Was something stirring in them here? Or were they just tired and thought, might as well? But whatever, they put the net, the net out on the right side of the boat, and they caught such a large number of fish. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. They knew it then. They knew his miraculous provision. And they didn't say when they caught all this, these fish, they didn't say, look what we have done. Look what we have accomplished. You see, there's a lesson in this too. It's not just we have to learn the lesson when our nets are empty, when we catch nothing. 
We need to learn the lesson when our, lesson when our debts are full and we, we catch everything. When everything's going well, don't we often say, look what I've done. And it feeds our pride. Instead of saying, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. The pathway to joy is it's the Lord because what he gives is beyond the here and now miracle, the here and now provision, the here and now blessing. If you come and, and, and worship the Lord, what he has to give you is far greater than anything that could happen here on earth, any achievement that you could do. Because he came to give you eternal life. So that when you go through that up and down of all of life and you reach that final down point of death, that's the moment of triumph when you overcome death and go into glory with the Lord Jesus. He'll reveal himself to you now, but not just for the here and now. Can you learn that when times are, are great, when he really blesses, to say, thank you, God, for this blessing, but help me not to worship it. Help me not to cling to it. Help me to recognize you in it and run to you. Peter being Peter. Uh, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. I have no clue as to whether that means Peter was fishing completely in the buff or not. That might be a reason why you got company, you put on the clothes, and he goes to the shore. Because it's kind of strange that you put on the outer garment and jump in the water. He wasn't going to take the time to get fully dressed. He didn't slide on his t-shirt and socks and all the things that would have been his day's equivalent of all of those things. He just threw on what made him modest and went, even though it's kind of silly to put on the outer garment and jump in the water. He was so eager to run to Jesus. See, that's the thrill when you recognize Jesus in the blessings. You don't stop with pride and start worshiping the blessings and worshiping yourself. You say, it's the Lord and you're eager to come to him. You know, back at the beginning of the ministry, when, when Peter recognized that this miracle of Jesus in providing the large number of fish, the nets were breaking uh, then, two boats were hauling it in, Peter fell down at his feet and said, depart from me, for I am not worthy. Peter knew even more his unworthiness now, for he had denied Christ, denied knowing Christ three times at his crucifixion. Next, the next passage is when Peter is fully restored and Jesus says to him, do you love me? Right now, Peter might be a little bit edgy, but he knows the love of Christ, that he went to the cross to lay down himself for us. He knows the Lord is risen from the dead. And he doesn't say, depart from me. He comes and worships Jesus. He jumped off into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed... They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So here we come to our third point. The first is when your nets are empty. Can you see God's hand in that? Can you trust him in that? Can you be content in those circumstances? When your nets are full, when you catch everything, can you praise God in that and not cling to the, the blessings and worship the blessings and, can, and run to Jesus? And when you run to Jesus, what do you find? He already has fish. There's, there's, there's a blessing in this for us, though. I wonder how Jesus got the fish. The one who sent the fish into the nets could have just whistled like calling the dog and had fish jump up on the shore and Jesus fixed them for the disciples. Or he, he could have gotten them in some other ordinary way. We don't know how Jesus got the fish. 
The fact is, Jesus did not need the disciples' fish to have breakfast, did he? We keep thinking somehow we're going to do this for God because he needs us to do it for him. That's not it. When we are, are serving the Lord and, and, and worshiping him and uh, being obedient to him and working in the kingdom, when we're sharing Christ, when we're showing the love of Christ, we're not doing this because God needs us to do it. He's just blessing us by including us and the fruit of the work that he would do in and through us. Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've just caught. He didn't need them, but they were the very fish that he provided, and he was including the disciples in the fellowship of it all. This is the fellowship of ministry, and it's not just church work. Ministry, we come to be equipped at church, and we go out and to serve in our families and our neighborhoods and our work just to follow our Savior. The fellowship that we have is with Christ and serving him in all the areas of our lives. And Jesus delights in that. He values that. In fact, we've learned before in John that, that it's amazing that Jesus wants to come back for us to take us to be with him. He wants to be with us. You know, this is something that, that has just dawned on me all the more this year in this study of John that I don't think I've appreciated in all my years of ministry. I thought I long to be with him. Even if it's hard, I, we have heaven ahead of us. We have glory ahead of us. We look, we, by, by faith, we need to look forward to that and fix our eyes on Christ because we want to be with him. I hadn't thought as deeply about He just loves being with us. I can't believe that Jesus wants to be with me. He knows every secret I have. He knows every failure I have, the things that I've forgotten that I did wrong. He knows every one of them, and he loves me enough to have paid for those sins. He wants to be with me and with you. That's amazing. And he wants to include you in the work of the kingdom. Jesus could have sent out his angels to declare the gospel to all the, the, the world. He didn't need his disciples to do it. Jesus could have done that with the voice of God himself. But instead, Jesus wanted, wanted us to have that fellowship with him in the work of the kingdom, in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He includes us. He says to you, in a sense, whatever the fish represent, bring some of the fish you've just caught. We have fellowship with Jesus around that meal as we know him and serve him in this world. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the fish, uh, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. This is realistic. It's just, it's not a mystical number. If you've ever been a fisherman, and you have a great trip, you come and say, we caught this many fish. It, it, it means something to fishermen. 153 large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. That's different than in the first miracle. The nets were torn. I think there's something in the sufficiency, the finished work of Christ, that the nets are not torn here. Before Peter saying, depart from me, I'm a sinner. The work was not done yet. Our nets begin to break when we look to our sufficiency. When we're looking to Christ, there's a sure foundation. There are nets that are not torn in those circumstances. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Oh, there's a warmth of fellowship there. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That, that's not uh, such a strange thing to understand. They're just amazed. It says dared ask. It wasn't that they were intimidated by him but they revered him. Here is God the Son who can command the fish who is risen from the dead. 
and they know it's him, and he's inviting them to eat with him. I would call you and challenge you, have that sense of amazement that God wants that fellowship with you. And don't dare ask him, are you there? Yeah, he's there. Don't dare ask him, do you care? Because your circumstance is bad. He's proven he cares for you in sending his son. Instead say, it is the Lord. Know it. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. He's providing for them. Now, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I think that the best way to understand that, it doesn't include the appearance in John to Mary Magdalene, and there are other appearances that other gospels say. John is not trying to, it's only the third time, absolutely. He said, this is the third time he appeared that I want to tell you about. It's his third time. Because last week, uh, when we were looking, or the last passage two weeks ago, we find the evidence of the resurrection confirmed in Doubting Thomas. And John, the apostle, underlines, I'm writing these things that you may believe in Jesus Christ and that you may have eternal life by believing in his name. It sounds like the conclusion of the gospel there. Now this is kind of the epilogue as he goes into these uh, you know, follow-through details. And he says, I want you to know this one too. This is the third thing I want you uh, to know. So that... When you identify with the disciples and you catch nothing, when your nets are empty, you can yet trust him and realize that God is at work in you, not to rely on yourselves, but to rely on him who raises the dead. This is the one who is raised from the dead, proving that point. And when your nets are full, don't worship those uh, blessings. Don't cling to them and don't don't think that somehow they won't fade away from you because they, they will. You, they may stay and you can pass them on to your children and you'll fade away. Or a tragedy or, or some other uh, problem can, can erupt and, and the blessings be gone. If you worship the blessings, then you'll start saying, God, I thought you were a good God. You took those away from me. But if you say, thank you, God, for that blessing for as long as I had it. I worship you. And I thank you for what you're taking me to. And then remember that Jesus wants the fellowship of ministry with you. He says, bring me yourself. Bring me your resources. Bring me your fish. Let's have breakfast together. As we look ahead, there's some yeah, lessons from this passage to apply. There are going to be times in ministry, as there have been for me, where uh, there are they're good things to celebrate. Don't let them go to your head. I found that when my head gets bigger, it's just a bigger target. If things are tough, don't get too low. Realize that God is at work in that too. And he's just teaching you to rely on him, not on your own strength, on your own abilities and, and resource. When you look forward, I, I say this for, for Sean's sake and for the church's sake. I anticipate as Sean arrives, and he's 45 years old, he's right in the middle of the demographic that, you know, that three or four years ago I was seeing as a great need in our church, that he will develop strength in his peer group ministry. Add that to the uh, strength and maturity of, of the, the 
fellowship in, in those my age and up and those in the younger ages than that that are Marty's and Mike's uh, contemporaries. Add that together. Sycamore is going to be clicking on all cylinders, and you're just going to grow out of the wazoo. I just think it's going to be a great time. That's what I anticipate. Here's the danger, because you may anticipate that too. The danger is if you take that anticipation and turn it into an expectation, it becomes something very different. Because we can anticipate that God will be at work. But what if the nets come up empty? What if you go through a time of struggle? And we live in a culture out there that is, looks like it's turning on the church. It does, doesn't it? It's scary to us. We've been through it before. Don't worry about it. We still live in the best time and best place uh, ever. So we shouldn't fret about it, but we should realize what if the if church becomes very, very unpopular and people become very, very resistant and the church doesn't grow? Does that mean failure? No, it means God's at work with empty nets, teaching you to rely not on yourselves, on your abilities, your strengths, but on him who raises the dead. Don't look to attendance. Look for faithfulness in yourself, in your leaders, in the church. Ask, are we being faithful to Christ and to his word, whatever the circumstance? And are we content to serve him, to sing in prison, as did the Apostle Paul, to get up after being stoned, as did the Apostle Paul, to walk back into the city before he went on to the next uh, town. Are you willing to go through that? Because Christ is sufficient for you in any and every circumstance. You know, when you look to Christ, in some ways, that adds pressure to you because it's not easy to trust in him. It's natural for us to trust in ourselves and in our flesh, but it's the delight that the follower of Christ knows. He leads through the cross to life everlasting. It's the delight of the disciple. It does take pressure off, though. When Esther went into the king in the Old Testament and pleaded on behalf of, of her people, she knew that the king could turn to her and say, what, you're a Jew? The law has, has you under the sentence of death. It was an original holocaust. And she knew when she went in to plead on behalf of her people, it could go that way. But she did what God called her to do and said, if I perish, I perish. You know, there's freedom in that. Be faithful. Love the Lord who has loved you and see what God will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless this church. We pray for nets that are full. Uh, we pray that, that we would listen uh, to Christ and to his word, that we would maintain our loving commitment to him, our faithful uh, commitment to, to your word. We pray that, and we pray for your blessing. We pray that there would be revival in this place, in this community, in our land, that many would turn to you. But Father, that's what we desire. We pray that you would, more than that, hold us to yourself, Keep us true to your name and enable us to be faithful, whether young or old, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. We are the bride of Christ, and he loves us, and we love him back. We pray these things in his name. Amen.